What is good, everyone? I'm Jeff Jackson. This is Geeks Who Watch Football, the only podcast where we talk about both football and video games and occasionally nerd culture, movie reviews, and all that fun stuff. Got a jam-packed show for you. It is March 10th as of this recording. The NFL Combine has come and went. The NFL Franchise Tag deadline has come and went. And in addition to that, if that wasn't enough already, we have two massive quarterback trades happening, one with the uh, Seattle Seahawks, the other one involving the Indianapolis Colts. A lot to get into. I'm going to be covering the what players saw their stock rise, what questions emerge from the combine. going to be talking about those two specific trades. And last but not least, I'm going to be talking about the NFL franchise tag, my thoughts on it, and why I think it is the biggest problem with the NFL, and I think it needs to be either revised or removed altogether at the next negotiation. A lot to get into, but before we start, please leave a like, please leave a review. Helps the show get better. It's also helpful to have it pop up wherever you're listening to this, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor. Please leave a like once again. I also upload it to the Facebook page at Geeks Who Watch Football, or you can follow me on Twitter if you want to see my thoughts as I'm playing games, what games I'm currently playing, and my thoughts on current players, transactions, and whatever goes on in the NFL. My handle is at MadTitan1018. Had to take a breath there. Uh, so a lot to get into. This is going to be a longer episode. It's been a while since I've done a football one. I've been neck deep in Elden Ring. I've been playing a lot of crap. I've been studying for a couple exams for work. So, and I was, and I kept wanting to do an episode and I wanted, and I was like, I'm going to wait till this happens. Okay. Well, I'm going to do a combine episode. Well, the trade, like the franchise tag is going to happen. Let's wait for that. Well, let's do the quarterback. Oh, wait a minute. Seattle just traded. Like everything kept delaying this episode and delaying it. So now I'm just releasing a massive episode thank you for everyone for listening. So we're going to start with that, by the way, we're going to start with the first news, which is the one everybody's talking about. The Seattle Seahawks traded Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos. They shipped off for the cost of two firsts, two seconds, a fifth-round pick, quarterback Drew Locke, defensive lineman Shelby Harris, and tight end Noah Fant. In addition to that, the Denver Broncos get Russell Wilson, and I think it's a fifth-round pick, but it might be a fourth. They've been haggling back and forth. I believe it's a fifth-round pick, though. Everyone's going to talk about who won this trade, who lost. Obviously, we won't know until we see what Seattle does with those picks. Denver currently has in this year's draft the ninth overall selection. A lot of mock drafts, including myself, had them taking a quarterback. I had them taking quarterback out of pick Kenny Pickett. Obviously, they filled that need now with getting an A-tier quarterback in Russell Wilson, who is coming off a broken finger. He did have his struggles last year, but he is a proven commodity. And in my opinion, just like the NBA, if you can get an A-tier quarterback, you win the trade. Um, Seattle could flip that pick into Malik Willis. They could trade and get more assets and rebuild their team and get a quarterback in 2023. Regardless, they have to replace the best quarterback their franchise has seen. And kudos to the Denver Broncos. I put them... And we're going to talk about the other team in a second. You had two teams that were in a kind of a quarterback purgatory. I also mentioned teams like the Carolina Panthers. I think it was like a month ago I talked about it. And they handled it in two different ways. And I think one team clearly came out on top in the other. And that is the Denver Broncos and the Seattle Seahawks, or not Seattle Seahawks, <laughs> the Indianapolis Colts, where they both wanted to upgrade the position and they took different approaches. Denver. N- 
it tells you what teams think about this quarterback class, by the way, too, that they are desperately trying to trade and sign players and they have no ill, you know, no well regard towards this class. And rightfully so. This is a weaker quarterback class. But the Denver Broncos hired Nathaniel Hackett, offensive coordinator from the Packers. They were clearly in talks with Green Bay to get Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers was unhappy with Green Bay, how their management, the trading of uh, the taking of Jordan Love, the letting key players walk. They knew apparently at the combine when they were talking that Aaron Rodgers was going to stay put. So instead, they pivoted and went after Russell Wilson. Now, they had the benefit of being an AFC team, which appeals to the Seahawks because it wasn't just enough to get the compensation that they were looking for. It is to get because Russell Wilson has a no trade clause to get Russell Wilson to approve a trade to those teams. So Denver was a very attractive destination for both Wilson and Rodgers. Rodgers decided to stay put. Kudos to the Broncos because had they not gotten one of those three quarterbacks, they would have been stuck because they couldn't roll out Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater next year. And I would have suggested they take Kenny Pickett over Malik Willis because the Broncos have tried in the draft to take the prototype quote-unquote quarterbacks and they have been striking out. Brock Osweiler, Paxton Lynch, Drew Locke of recent memory, and they just keep whiff. Whiff, whiff. You could even go back and say Jay Cutler if you want to count that as a whiff. Like they, I. That's why I was saying lean more towards Kenny Pickett. But hell, you can get Russell Wilson. Go get Russell Wilson. So the Denver Broncos. That is the best quarterback division right now. Obviously, you've got him now. You have Derek Carr, who's probably the worst quarterback there, and he's still a top twelve, top fifteen quarterback. You have Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert. Denver Broncos. It was a ripple effect. That Bills-Chiefs game in the AFC, I think, sent a ripple of fear through a lot of teams of our quarterback's just not good enough. Even though the Bengals made the Super Bowl, that Chiefs-Bills shootout sent a ripple effect through a lot of AFC teams saying, we can't compete with that. We have to go get that guy. And in Denver Bronco land, they're looking at their own division and like, we're not, we got to play Mahomes and Herbert twice. We can't compete with a C or D tier quarterback, no matter how good our team is. Now, whether Wilson remain like is good enough lives up to it, if that makes sense. I that didn't sound good. <laughs> if Wilson lives up to the hype is another story, but he is worth the risk over taking a Kenny Pickett in the draft. He is worth it over trading for a Jimmy Garoppolo. He is worth it over Mitchell Trubisky or Marcus Mariota. A tier quarterback. The Broncos hit a home run. They are now in talks to be a Super Bowl contender. I don't know if I'd say they're Super Bowl over the Bills or Chiefs still, but they're in that conversation now. Kudos to them for at least taking the chance. I think Wilson is a safer trade, too, than Deshaun Watson. Good for them. Then we flip it over to the other side here. The Carson Wentz scenario. Apparently, I think there must be something personality going around because my first text when I got notified by my friends Paul and Matt were about this trade were my phrase for this is desperation is a stinky cologne. Apparently, owner Jim Irsay, who's used to dealing with quarterbacks like Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, you know, the Jim Irsay strategy is infamously we're going to tank a year and get the first overall pick and take a generational quarterback and then be on our way. That didn't happen under GM Chris Ballard. He's too, their team is too well put together to be that bad, for even for just the season. And I like their construction. Guard Quinn and Nelson, uh, Michael Pittman Jr. receiver. Their offensive line is fantastic, especially Quinn and Nelson, the guard there. Even their okay signings like Eric Fisher, they didn't cost them much. It was a one-and-done trial deal. 
They have an amazing defense and one of the best linebackers in football in Leonard. They are a really well-built in-the-trenches team. I like the Colts a lot, but they did shit their pants at the end of the year. But where is the upgrade to Carson Wentz? To me, the only upgrade would have been the big three. You know, Aaron Rodgers, who stayed put. Russell Wilson, who just got traded to the Broncos. And now, last but not least, Deshaun Watson. And he's not going to be traded to you within the division. Texans are good. Texans don't even want him in the AFC. They'd prefer to ship him to Carolina or somewhere. So I really feel like the Colts, where was the upgrade? Jimmy Garoppolo? I'm going to throw some numbers for you. Carson Wentz, I think you almost were stuck to where, and you don't have a first round pick from the Carson Wentz trade. You already invested in that, by the way. So you can't really draft Pickett or Willis or out of reach. Carson Wentz in 2021 had 27 touchdowns and seven interceptions, his best year since 2019. I would make the argument his best year since 2018, the year after his MVP run or MVP caliber season. I really, in my gut, feel like, I don't know. I really, in my gut, feel like they were trying, but the only quarterbacks currently on their roster are Sam Ellinger, (laughs) like the rookie out of Texas a year ago. And he was like a mid-round pick. There's no, he's by no means the future. So where are you going to go with Jimmy Garoppolo, who all by the way you'd also have to give up picks. And Jimmy Garoppolo last year was decent, but he had 20 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, slated to make 27 million. It's actually like 26.9, but just shy of 27 million. He has a year left on his deal. Is that an upgrade over Carson Wentz significantly? I'd say a slight maybe in terms of efficiency, but and he's a little cheaper, but what are you doing, Indy? Now you have to go after maybe a Mitchell Trubisky, maybe a Marcus Mariota, like, and you're not going to be a bad enough team this year to end up with a top 10 pick to get one of these three or four quarterbacks coming out next year. You have a lot of teams staking their bet, and it's going to bite teams in the ass. I'm calling it now. You have too many teams hedging their bets on 2023. This reminds me of the Baker Mayfield year with Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen. Every team was like, they're just hoping that a Lamar Jackson falls. You have the Houston Texans doing a wait and see. You have the Detroit Lions doing a wait till next year. You have the Miami Dolphins and New York Giants doing a wait till next year. Okay. All those teams have more ammo than you, Indy, and they're going to be picking higher than you more than likely. Maybe not Miami, but I think Miami is going to probably be picking higher than you because I like the Colts as a team more than the Dolphins right now. And in Miami's case, they have two first-round picks. Same with the Lions. They have two first-round picks, so they're going to outbid you. Yeah, like, I don't know. I'm just, I don't know what the Colts are doing. They're spinning their rudders. Yes, even if Trubisky is okay, I feel like they're, yes, Carson Wentz shit his pants the last two weeks against the Raiders and the Jaguars. But I think you are almost forced to ride him out for another year and then go into next year and see what you can do. And for Washington, I don't know if they win the trade either because the trade involved the second and a third round pick, right? Uh, And the the third round pick next year is conditional. They kind of did a second round pick swap. Washington gets their second this year and a seventh. Um, And Carson Wentz, obviously. So... They moved back a little bit in the second round and they get a seventh round pick in Carson Wentz. Okay. But once again, Carson Wentz, they're getting an additional two and three next year. Additional two or not additional two. They're just moving up in the second round. 
and they're getting a third next year potentially. Okay, like I don't think this is really a win for either team. Washington picks 11th overall. To me, that tells you, because there's a chance they could have moved up to eight if they want to move up with Atlanta and get ahead of Denver's pick, which would now be the Seahawks. Go get like Pickett or Willis. But it tells me they're not high on this class. They would rather roll with Carson Wentz than roll with this quarterback group. Denver Broncos looked at this quarterback class and went, don't want to trade up. Let's go get the you know future Hall of Famer and Russell Wilson. So it's going to be interesting to see with these two teams. So like I said, two quarterbacks in purgatory. I kept saying it since the beginning. You have to go with one of the big three. If you can't get one of the big three, you need to try to either go the draft or get one of these proven guys. In Indy's case, they kind of already had a proven bridge. Like once you could have rolled with another year. I'm not a Carson Wentz fan, by the way, but you could have rolled with them another year. But that brings us to the third quarterback out of these two trades, right? Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo is now suddenly in very high demand because Deshaun Watson has his hearing tomorrow, right? And Friday. And I agree with Rich Eisen when he said on his show, I don't like to talk about it because I keep getting asked by people like, well, Pittsburgh could trade for him. Pittsburgh's out on Watson, by the way, that just released by PFT today. All I keep hearing from people is, what if we trade for Watson? What if we trade for Watson? Like, guys, until this is resolved, nobody's trading for Watson. Stop talking about him like he's a solution. Unless he, if he gets indicted on Friday, this is going to drag out for months. No team is going to trade for a quarterback that has 22 unresolved allegations if he's indicted especially, and he still has to get suspended. He's going to get suspended four to six games at least. And you got to pay him $40 million. No team is going to take that risk right now unless now if tomorrow comes and goes and he is not indicted and it reaches the civil cases where he just has to resolve them, that's a different story. But even still, this is a quarterback who even if that happens, he's still going to get suspended and you still have to pay him $40 million. So yeah, you're more willing to trade for him if this goes away, but you're still going to have to pay for a $40 million and picks for a quarterback that's going to miss four to six games, which means your season this year is unless you're a team like Pittsburgh and you could somehow float for four to six games. Okay. But that's a whole other story. That could be a different topic, right, for another day. Because I firmly believe Nick Casario, the GM of the Texans, botched this in the worst case imaginable. He needs to be fired. He should have flipped them last year. Worst case, he should have flipped them at the trade deadline where teams like the Panthers and Dolphins were sniffing around, offload them for two first-round picks in two seconds, be done with it. Then your 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 slate is clear. You don't have to wait about forty million. This is a depreciating asset. For those who don't know and are listening to this podcast, here's a history, here's a little lesson for you. Depreciating value is like a car. As soon as you drive it off the lot, it'll never be worth more than it was. As soon as Deshaun Watson, as soon as the regular season began last season, and the allegations were not resolved, Deshaun Watson became a depreciating asset. He was never going to get as much. You were never going to get as much for him as you got. In the at the offseason last year, because last year he was 17 million. You could have traded him, even with the allegations, teams were willing to trade for him because they could have had this year served the suspension or last season. I mean, then this year you could go into it, he could play the whole year because the NFL could come in and say, Well, we suspended him last year for eight games or nine games, right? 
and you would have only paid him $16 million on that. And the Texans, you would have your picks. Lovey, new head coach Lovey Smith wouldn't be answering questions on him still. They'd be moving on. But on to the quarterback that benefited the most from these news. Right? Sorry, I just got an instant message there. Uh, making sure nothing else was breaking while I was talking here. Jimmy Garoppolo now is the quarterback in demand for the San Francisco 49ers. They may end up getting a first-round pick for him, and they only gave up a second to trade for him, by the way, from the New England Patriots. I still think the favorites to land Jimmy G or Pittsburgh. I think it makes the most sense. Different conference. They desperately, they cannot roll Mason Rudolph. They're picking in the, I think, 20th in the NFL draft, so they're going to have to move up if they want one of their guys. They're reportedly enamored with Malik Willis. I think that's their fit too as well. But I really think I really, really, really think like Jimmy G is going to be the highest sought after quarterback. I know the Colts are reportedly interested. Um, so kudos to Jimmy Garoppolo. He has $27 million. He's owed $26.9 million technically this year. I think he's only guaranteed $7 million of it due to injury. He has one year left on his deal. So essentially, he's a one-year rental. Like He's basically a one-year, $27 million quarterback. A really nice bridge for you. So, and it, between him, Mitchell Trubisky, and Marcus Mariota, yeah, I'd roll with Jimmy G. But And if you're a team picking in the 20s, a team that doesn't like to infamously, quote-unquote, rebuild like the Steelers, it's a perfect fit. So the winner of all this news that's going around the NFL is Jimmy G. So those are the two big trades. Russell Wilson, thumbs up to the Denver Broncos. Carson Wentz, thumbs down to the Indianapolis Colts. Deshaun Watson, I'm not talking about anymore until we hear updates on what happens Friday. I don't think he's going anywhere right now, folks. Or he's just going to get... They might actually have to outright cut him. Could you imagine? (laughs) Oh, my God. What a nightmare. And then Jimmy Garoppolo, where he goes. So how does that impact the NFL draft? I don't think it does. I still think Malik Willis is going to be the top 10 pick, no matter what. Like I don't think that influences that. I think him and Kenny Pickett are going to be the first-round quarterbacks this year. You might see a guy like Matt Corral go in the 20s. Somebody will slip into the 20s and try to take a Matt Corral or a Desmond Ritter. But the two solidified first-round quarterbacks are Pickett and Willis. I'm going to be releasing my big board later to cover, like, who I would take, like who's my number one quarterback. It's not Malik Willis hint. Um, But I think Malik Willis will be the first quarterback taken. And if you're a Pittsburgh fan listening, because I know there's quite a few Pittsburgh fans listening, if you don't get Jimmy Garoppolo, and even if you do, he's only a one-year player, I would still try to trade up. If you're going to take a guy, I would go after Malik Willis for them in terms of, because I trust Pittsburgh to be able to develop Malik Willis. I do not trust him with other organizations though. Like I said, he is not my QB one, but if he could sit and learn under uh, behind Jimmy Garoppolo for a year in Pittsburgh, an organization that develops quarterbacks, I think he'd be okay. But we'll get into that later on and as we get closer and closer to the draft though. But so those are the trades. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I am going to talk about the franchise tag because the franchise tag was this past Tuesday at five o'clock or four o'clock. Some players that got tagged, what I think about it, and what I believe the future of the NFL means for it. So we'll take a quick break, and then we'll be back. 
So the franchise tag came and went on Tuesday. Key players like Devontae Adams, Mike Gesicki, Orlando Brown from the Kansas City Chiefs, Chris Godwin for the second time in a row got the tag. And for those who don't know, the franchise tag, what it is, is a one-year fully guaranteed contract. A team can only tag one player on their roster. They could do it as many times as they want, but it's one year, and they have to be paid. I think it's like in the top certain percentage of the players. So, for example, the wide receiver tag, I believe, is just shy of $19 million this year. Mike Gusecki is around $10, $11 million, I believe, because he's classified as a tight end. It varies based on the position, Right. And it's a fully guaranteed one-year deal, no matter if they play it or not, or if they're hurt or not. And the Packers just use it with Adams. It was originally designed to be a tool of which to hold on to a player while negotiating a long-term extension. And like most things, it was a good idea that's manipulated now, and I personally have a problem with it. And I, I'm a Dolphins fan. This rule has benefited my team. Mike Gusecki, uh Mike Gusecki, you know, played more in the slot than he did as a tight end. He, we are saving, you know, seven million a year. And if you franchise tag a player consecutively, they do go up percentage to where it's unreasonable. But essentially, it dooms a player's career long term. It was originally meant, and it was de- uh, developed by Pat Bowlin in 1992. It was referred to as the John Elway rule because he said we couldn't quote unquote afford to lose this franchise player. Well, my response to that would be Pat Boland stop being a cheap dick and pay John Elway, who was in the prime of his career, by the way. John Elway, you know, would later go on to win Super Bowls. He's one of the, he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. Pay him, dumbass. But I feel like the franchise tag has used to be used as a term to tag a player until you can, you know, negotiate out an extension with them to keep them in house. It has since been used as a, we don't want to let this player go a year. Let's pay them. If they get hurt. Oh, well, we let them go. Or in the Steelers case, we're going to tag a running back two years in a row until they're useless and then let them go and be good. Players cost themselves money on this contract. Devonte Adams, for example, makes just under $20 million with this tag. Do you think Devonte Adams would get more on the open market? I think so. Mike Gusecki is getting tagged for $10 million right now. Do you think he would get more in the open market? I think so. If Devontae Adams gets hurt, will he sniff the money he could have got this offseason? No. Chris Godwin. Now, he got tagged again, but had he not gotten tagged last year, he tore his ACL, by the way, he would have been eighteen million to $20 million before all of it. Long contract, safety, security guaranteed. Mike Gusecki would be probably making thirteen million to $15 million on the open market. It is a manipulative tool that needs to be removed. I like Matt's idea because we were talking earlier before this podcast, and I know Paul agrees with it as well, of you can tag only one player once. So, for example, when the Saints tag Drew Brees twice, you wouldn't be able to do that. Once you tag a player, you can't tag them a second time. I like the idea of rewarding teams who don't use the franchise tag. So teams that don't, like, infamously now they're, like, because of, like, you know, minority hirings like the San Francisco 49ers, for example, since Mike McDaniel went to the Dolphins are getting a third round pick. They got a third round pick for Robert Sala being hired as well. I like the idea of giving a team a fourth round pick if they don't use their franchise tag this year, like teams like the Buffalo Bills. They didn't use their franchise tag this year. Here, here's a fourth round pick. 
reward the teams that get their contracts done earlier. You have chimes, especially with the rookie salary cap. The franchise tag made more sense when there wasn't a rookie salary cap. Now there is. So players just take a guy in the fifth round or for, uh, first round. I'm sorry. Use the fifth year option franchise tag. I'm okay, six years, his career's done. The NFL is a billion dollar industry and they're paying these guys pennies on the dollar. I understand $10 million is a lot of money to Mike Gusecki, but he's worth so much more. I don't believe, I think, name me another sport where the franchise tag exists. You don't see this in basketball. You don't see it in baseball. You don't see it in hockey. Why is football the only sport that does this? That personally restricts, I I say it goes against everything in our market right now. We are a free market society. And this is, uh, the NFL is run everything but free market. Everyone always says infamously, like when Deshaun Watson, for example, signed his extension with the Houston Texans, or one more example, another good example, Russell Wilson, right, with the Seattle Seahawks. Well, don't sign the extension. Force your way out. Okay, well, they're going to franchise tag you. You'd ha- you're, you basically have to be willing to throw away one to two years of your career of not playing because of the franchise tag. I'll do you one better. Imagine in the workplace, right? You're not happy where you are. You're underpaid. Your boss yells at you. You're not happy. You go out in the workplace in this market we're in now. People are desperate for jobs. You have a high leverage situation, right? It's a worker-friendly environment right now or a hiring process. You get an interview lined up. They make you an offer. You know, It's a 15% raise from what you make now. You can work from home. You can work remote. It's great. Your boss says when you go to put in your two weeks notice, yeah, we're going to franchise tag you. You have to work here for another year. Sorry. And then... A year comes and goes, that market is dried up. You are not as in high demand. Those place, those other companies have filled their positions, so the market's not as good for you. And then your boss comes up to you and says, oh, yeah, it's been a year. Yeah, you're fired. Sorry. You didn't meet the demands of what we wanted. How would that resonate with you? That's what the franchise tag is. If you develop and live up to it like Kirk Cousins, great. There's guys who have benefited from it. You know, Kirk Cousins is the champion of the franchise tag. Guys like Brandon Sharif have been tagged twice by the Washington uh, commanders. He's going to benefit from it. You know, you can be benefit and be the highest paid, but it is a manipulative system. There are countless players that have been boned by the tag. Earl Thomas, like I can name countless players. Stop me if you've heard this before. They get franchise tagged and then they blow their knee out. They blow their ACL out and then they're released and they make half of that money in the offseason the next year. Or they just flat out retire. Or a player is disgruntled, they tag him and say, no, sorry, you're stuck here another year. You have to play ball. The franchise tag is morally wrong in a free market society we live in, and it goes against everything we stand for. I believe in the next player NFL negotiations, they should they should advocate to remove the tag. Or worst case scenario, do it like what uh, Matt said. You can only tag a player one time. That's it one time, and then on my suggestion, a combination, reward teams who don't use it at all with picks. So that's my thoughts on it. It's a nice, quick little rant. I am not. I can go into more detail on it, but it just makes me angrier. It just makes me laugh that the reason this rule developed was because an owner was too cheap to pay John fucking Elway. <laughs> like John Elway. You know, of all, like, that's where this rule came. So it didn't come from a good place, folks. 
and these guys are billionaires complaining about this that we can't afford a player. Billionaires are complaining they don't want to pay a guy millions. Are you fucking kidding me? And this is a guy, like I said earlier in this episode, I'm a Dolphins fan. I benefited from this tag. We got to keep Mike Kosicki for a year. But in my back of my mind, I feel bad for Mike Kosicki because what if he gets hurt? What if he doesn't put up a good of numbers? What if he hates Tua? I actually think he likes Tua. I'm just being a dick. But, you know, it's not always sunshine and rainbows. What if a player gets tagged in Houston and they have to play in that shit show for another year? I'm just in the mindset. It's the only sport that has this in it. It absolutely blows my mind. Could you imagine trying to franchise tag, uh, you know, Kevin Durant right now when Washington, when he wanted out of the Golden State? Be like, no, sorry, we're tagging you. He would say, I'm not ta- like taking another snap then. Like, it's amazing. The, today's day, it's a dated concept. It needs to be removed. It was founded in 1992. It was a means to manipulate the system. It needs to be removed. So next up, and this is the last topic of the show. We have the NFL Combine happened on brighter news, so not as doom and gloom. And some I correctly predicted, some I didn't. Here's the main takeaways you need to know from who really stood out at the NFL Combine. The defensive line for Georgia newsflash was really, really good. I don't know, some of you might have seen that from the college games, national championship. Both defensive tackles from Georgia, Devontae Wyatt and Jordan Davis, absolutely are burners the fact that those men both weigh 300 plus pounds and they both ran a 481 and 477 40 yard dash is absolutely absurd they're both going to be top 20 picks and they should be i remember saying jordan davis i was surprised that wyatt ran that fast but i remember i correctly predicted jordan davis Defensive line from Georgia, and that's not even including guys like N'Kobe Dean, the linebacker, who are going to go high too, or the pass rusher as well, their defensive end. Their whole defense should be taken high because they were one of the probably the best defenses we've seen in 10 years. Another thing we learned from the combine, wide receivers from Ohio State are really good too. Uh, Chris Olave ran a burning time. At first, it was listed as a 4-2-8, and it came back as a 4-3-8, which is still really fast by him. He's one of my favorite receivers in this draft. He might be my favorite receiver in this draft. It's either him or Drake London. He's a natural separator, good hands, great route runner. I think he solidified himself. Garrett Wilson's a little bit more of the prototypical size. He was a burner as well. I want to say he ran like a 4-4-4, but I might be wrong. It might be, it might be a 4-4 flat. Um, he helped his stock a lot. Other receivers did as well. Um the running back that clearly stood out to me was Brees Hall from Iowa State. He turned on the Jets doing a sub, uh, 4 5 40. He's fast on tape. He's fast on the field and in track shoes apparently as well. He, I don't know if he'll be number one RB still. I still think that might be Isaiah Spiller. But Brees Hall has definitely solidified himself as RB2 or RB3. When we get to my big board, I'll tell you who where I have him ranked. But I still think Isaiah Spiller holds it down from Texas A&M, but Brees Hall, man, he's going to go higher. I know all these mock draft simulators have him going to the third round. Stop with that shit. He's going to be at at latest a second round pick, probably when it's all said and done, late one, early two. Brees Hall is going to go higher than people think. There was other players as well. Uh, Malik Willis, I knew would look uh, good, you know, ran well. Threw the ball well in shorts. The problems with Malik Willis isn't what's on the field. It's what's between the ears and how tall he is. 
came in just under six one. He ran a really primitive offense, and it's not his fault, by the way. I'm not saying Malik Willis is primitive, but he ran a very primitive and simplistic offense at Liberty. Now, how he interviews, we will, I'm sure, hear about later on. But in terms of what we saw on TV, on film, Malik Willis looked really good. And with that being said, now we get to the players that didn't look good. Well, actually, there's one more player I wanted to give a shout out to, by the way, and that's defensive uh, back cornerback Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati. The fact that that man, as big as he is, ran a 4-4-40. It might have been even a 4-5, but the fact is that is ridiculous for him. He is a big, long corner. He was a projected top 15 pick. He'll probably just solidify that, but he basically solidified that. Uh, I think this corner class is very underrated between him, Derek Stingley, Trent McDuffie. This is a very good corner class. This is a very good defensive class in general, folks. I was going to do a podcast on it. I probably still will of where the strengths of this draft are. Newsflash, here's the simple answer I tell people. Defense. There you go. Linebackers, it's a really good linebacker class. Corners, linebackers, you know, receiver, this is a deep class. Not as good as last year, but it's still a really solid receiving class. Um, yeah, it's just a bad class to have a quarterback need and there's no upper tier echelon running back. It's a deep running back, but yeah, it's a sucky year to need quarterbacks, but everywhere else, man, it's like, you know, if you need defense, this is the draft for you. Pass rushers are good, better than last year, in my opinion, but so the players that hurt themselves in the draft or not draft in the combine, Kenny Pickett's hands came in at eight and a half. That is a concern. That would make him among the smallest hands in the NFL as a starter, assuming because if you take him in the first round, he's going to be a starter. Uh, He measured comparably to guys like Jake Fromm, and we know how they performed. He would be probably – he would be the outlier. And NFL scouts, this is a newsflash for people, a lot of them hate drafting outliers. Don't draft the exception. Draft the prototype. You keep your job if you draft a prototype and he fails versus drafting an outlier and and he fails. Because all people are going to say is, see, I told you, look at him. He doesn't look the part. People judge with their eyes, folks. It's, you know, a player that looks the part, people are much more forgiving of than a person who doesn't. So, and I think he looks the part size-wise, by the way. He's 6'3", just under 220, has good athleticism, has a good arm. I think Kenny Pickett's got those things, but people, if he sucks or if his first fumble, people are going to say, well, you know, he fumbled the ball, even though he fumbled less than Desmond Ritter, who has bigger hands than him, by the way. I believe Desmond Ritter is just shy of 10-inch hands. Tua has 10-inch hands, and that man fumbles every time he's touched. So, you know, I'll let you be the judge if it helped to hurt them or not. Another player who didn't help his stock was Jahan Dotson, wide receiver at Penn State. He had a sub, uh, He had a slow 40. And this is a guy who's known as a short, shifty receiver. So anytime a short receiver runs a slow 40, that hurts them. Now, that's not the be-all, end-all, though. I keep telling people that because Amon Ross St. Brown had a really abysmal 40, and he still, you know, he still tore up the NFL. A lot of these guys don't know how to run 40s either. You know, that's why you see such a despairing, like, a difference between it. But those are the players who didn't help themselves that much. Pickett comes to mind, and Jahan Dotson. Kyrie and Williams, the running back from Notre Dame, he ran really slow. Like, did he drink the night before? Was he running with, like, the weighted shoes on? Like, ooh, he didn't look good. 
which is a shame because I like Kyrie and Williams a lot. I like his pass blocking. But so yeah, that's all for today's show. Uh, be sure to leave a like. It feels good to talk about football again. Like I said, I've been in a cave playing Elden Ring, and you know I just watched Batman with Phil uh, a week ago. We're gonna have a review on that coming up soon. So at some point, I'll talk about other video games. But right now, all I want to do is like hang up this podcast and go play more Elden Ring. <laughs> so it's it's consumed my life, man. But that's all we have for today. This is Geeks Who Watch Football. Just a reminder, we post episodes covering football, mostly the NFL draft and, and college prospects and uh, video games. And then once in a while, I get together with Kevin and Phil and we talk about uh, superhero reviews and movies, cinematics and all that fun stuff. Uh, leave a like, leave a review, follow us on our Facebook page at Geeks Who Watch Football or follow me on Twitter at Man Titan 1018 Thanks, everyone, and have a good one.